Welcome to the Second Reading Podcast from the University of Texas at Austin. The Republicans were in the Democratic Party because there was only one party. So I tell people on a regular basis, there is still a land of opportunity in America. It's called Texas. The problem is these departures from the Constitution, they have become the norm. At what point must a female senator raise her hand or her voice to be recognized over the male colleagues in the room? And welcome back to the Second Reading Podcast for the week of August the 2nd, 2021. I'm Jim Henson, Director of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin. Happy to be joined again today by Josh Blank, Research and Polling Director for the Texas Politics Project. How has your morning gone, Josh? I would say pretty productive, pretty nice. Yeah. Well, productivity, what more could we ask in this society? It's all, yeah, I don't, <laughs> well, I mean, uh, uh, okay. <laughs> well, though there's plenty going on with the continued stalemate at the legislature with Democrats at this recording, still in Washington, D.C. and waiting out the return, uh, the end of the of the session, of the special session this Friday, uh, we return today, unfortunately, I think, to the politics and policies around the COVID-19 pandemic uh, amidst a clear, serious uptick in cases as a result of uh, the spread of the Delta variant of the virus. So, you know, we should talk about where we seem to be now in terms of response by state and local governments, which have been, as during earlier phases of the pandemic, uh, uh, quite different and at odds here in Texas. But I want to start with some public some of the basics uh, in the pattern of public opinion that we know about up to this point uh, and and some of the baselines for thinking about where we are in this new phase. And we can circle back and and talk about what's happened in the in the last couple of weeks, uh, mainly Governor Abbott's response, which has essentially doubled down uh, on the strategy that we've seen for, you know, really the last year or so from the governor and and state government here. Now, for this discussion, we can draw on trend data that we've accumulated since we started polling on the pandemic back in April of 2020. You know, and and we do this because the responses we're seeing so far, to you know, spoiler alert, uh, seem based on the established patterns that we've seen. Uh, you know, I mean, it, it, it looks unfortunately like the virus is changing and adapting and adapting much more rapidly than the political system is. Certainly, in the state arguably maybe even in the country. So what have we seen? We've seen a lot of things. I mean, let's start with the overall sense and attitudes and behaviors that, you know, that within the, 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 the data we collect on those things, we saw that overall concern kind of had plateaued and maybe even was declining when we were last in the field of June of 2021 for the UT Texas Tribune polls. I mean, I'm remembering that. Yeah, I think I think that's right. I mean, I think I think the way to think about that thing is really social sciencey response to this in some ways. I'll put yeah, it out social there. Science. I know. I'm sorry. No, it's I mean, good for everybody. No, it's not. Science. Well, okay, it's not always good. But the but you know, but there is something here that's sort of you know we say there's there's sort of a a difference in the intercepts, but not necessarily the slopes. Democrats started out significantly more concerned. So where they began was much higher in terms of concern than did Republicans. And so you can kind of look at the state as a whole 
and when you know we we started pulling in April, you know about half the state was April you know, of last year. April of last year, yes, half the state. You know, half the state was extremely or very concerned about uh, the spread of COVID in their communities. But this was only thirty six percent of Republicans and seventy six percent of Democrats. Now, over time, both groups have declined, and we go you know to June of of this year and this summer. And 27% of the state is extremely or very concerned about the spread of COVID. Now, this was before, I think, the uptick in cases, the Delta variants. We have to make that clear, although the Delta variant was still spreading at this point. But I don't think we saw the sharp uptick that we've seen in recent weeks affecting these, this data, which was collected before. So again, in, in June of 2021, about a quarter of the state thought it was you know, serious or extremely or very, ser- or very concerned about community spread. And that was still half of Democrats, again, down from 76% in April 2020. But it's also down to 10% of Republicans from April 2020. So even though they started a lot lower, being about a third of them who were very concerned, now it's only about one in 10. Um, and this is kind of the trend. I mean, the interesting thing is going to be when we poll again, honestly, is, is it wasn't as though it was a straight line from high concern down to low concern because there was an uptick in certain in February of this year, which was when we actually saw the first emergence of these new variants. Right. And I think when that happened... Uh, ultimately, people started getting a little bit more concerned because there's a question that at that point there was a clear question of do do the vaccines work with these variants? Are they going to spread faster? Is it going to affect people? Well, and there were two things going on in February too, right? Because the variants were beginning to emerge, but we had also seen the holiday surge, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. right? So if you you know if we overlay oh. this, you know, so the, those two things were I think working yeah. together, right? Right. Um, but the point is, is that you know the the gaps in opinion and attitudes have never gone away. So even though we do see, you know, a decline in concern uh, overall, there's still, you know, wide gaps in terms of both what how people view the virus, the threat they they think the virus poses to them, but also, you know, not surprisingly then the response of people to the virus. And so, you know, as we started to kind of ask about, you know, basically whether you're living normally is kind of the one we always lean back on to see who's gone back to sort of feeling like they're they're living normally, you know, the share of Texans who say that they are not sort of avoiding public places, that kind of stuff, and really just kind of living their life has continued to go up over the course of the pandemic, but it's driven almost entirely by Republicans. I mean, Democrats are getting more safe as they get more vaccinated, but overall, despite the fact that vaccination rates are significantly higher among Democratic than among Republican voters, Republican voters have been the ones who have been the quickest to re-embrace life. And in in a lot of cases, and this is what's, you know, I think... scary, I think is, I guess, the best way to put it. It's not only Republicans who are embracing, you know, uh, living life normally and engaging in a bunch of activities, but it's actually, you know, unvaccinated Republicans who are the most likely to be engaging in normal activities and really eschewing most social distancing guidelines that, you know, we're still kind of relying on at this point. You know, and, and I think that that intersection between um, actually, I should say for, for people listening also, if you're interested in these trend data and kind of following along at home or or looking at it after you hear the podcast, you know, we've got a, a, you know, not being very humble, which is a pretty good post and an interesting com- compilation of the trend data on a lot of these measures that we'll be talking about at the Texas Politics Project website, which is at texaspolitics.utexas.edu. If you go to the polling section, there's a blog section and there's a post from July 1st. What I'll probably do when we're done is um, post a version of this podcast in the blog section of the website where a lot of this stuff is in one place or at least a link to that so it's easier to find. 
Well, and I'll add what's really good about looking at that is we're, we're, we're obviously focused on politics and I make no, you know, this is the Texas politics project. So I make no, you know, uh, apologies about that. But what's interesting about looking at that trend data is it also breaks it down by race and by geographic density. So urban, suburban, rural. And so you can kind of look at a lot of these trends that I think are, you know, often reinforced by partisanship, but it's not entirely partisanship. And it's not necessarily the case that, you know, people getting vaccinated or not is all about one story. It's a couple of different stories going on here. You know, and this is a story that I think is very live right now. I mean, I, you know, what are the reasons, you know, even though the, in some ways, the, you know, the main headline story in the state right now, or the storyline, if you're really following inside politics and, and institutions in the state really is the, what's going on with the legislature. But one of the reasons I decided to, we should go with this today, it really is that, I mean, it's, it's striking how dominant the storyline is right now. Um, and, and we'll get the talk, you know, you and I have talked about this and the way that and I think there are reasons for that that have to do with the difficulty of sorting it out and sorting it out what to do other than, you know, in, in addition to the politics of this. Well, I mean, you and I were were joking a little bit yesterday, but I mean, it's hard not to watch, you know, the Texas legend. I don't want to say I don't want to say twiddling their thumbs, but twiddling their thumbs, dirt, you know, more or less during hearings about, you know, college football realignment at yeah. a time when you know, this is clearly a, a dominant public health and public policy problem if we would allow it to be. But we're just kind of going along as if it's not happening. And I think part of what's interesting is, you know, the underlying attitudes kind of explain that. I mean, to, to a large extent, right? Right. Well, yeah, we might as well just talk about that. Yeah. I mean, I mean, it, it's it's almost impossible to, I to me, I mean, I, I don't, I shouldn't say impossible because people will do it. But if you look at the trends in this data and you look at how consistent, as you were saying at the outset when you were describing the concern data, but across almost almost every measure, how consistent, both consistent and persistent, the partisan gaps in attitudes towards the virus and behavior are. I mean, without making excuses for, you know, what I have to say is, you know, pretty questionable public policy in the state right now in terms of, you know, at best kind of ignoring this and at worst pushing against it. If you want to explain politics through elections and following your base and responsiveness and partisan responsiveness on the part of elected officials, boy, this is your issue. Yeah, I think that's right. I mean, and if you, and if you go and you kind of look across our data, I mean, one of the things that I think I kind of keep leaning back on in all of this is, you know, we asked back in March about approval uh, of Governor Abbott's decision back then to lift any restrictions on statewide business, basically prohibits, you know, restrictions on businesses due to COVID and to lift any mask mandate statewide. And if we look at, you know, the the prohibition on business restrictions, we have 78% of Republicans approved of that decision, 62% strongly approved. So it wasn't, you know, I mean, there's not a lot of sort of middling opinion on this. Uh, 85% of Democrats disapproved, 74% strongly. That's on business restrictions on removing the mask mandates, pretty similar. 76 Republicans, 76% of Republicans approved, 60% strongly. 89, 88% of Democrats disapproved, 81% strongly. And this was back in March. Now, again, I like to be like cognizant of the fact that there's a shifting underlying landscape. And, and the truth is, I think a lot of criticism that people are making about, you know, I would just say inconsistent messaging from a, no, a number of institutions, organizations, the CDC, the federal government, you know, local health officials, et cetera, you know, has made this, you know, a difficult situation. But the other thing I would say is, you know, even back when, 
you know, the coronavirus was was peaking at a higher level than it's currently peaking now, or even back when it was peaking at a similar level to what it's peaking now. If we go back to last summer, and then we think again about the surge that came after that. And a question that we were asking repeatedly, and we've since stopped, was, you know, what's more important here, basically helping the economy or containing the virus versus, you know, containing the virus, even if it hurts the economy. And pretty much without fail, every time we ask that question, close to, you know, about 70% of Republicans say you have to prioritize the economy. And I don't, you know, and I'd say is, you know, even with the, the surge of the variant, I think, you know, for if you're a Greg Abbott, I can, you know, construct a pretty clear narrative that says, hey, look, I know what the majority of, my, of Republican voters want. I know that the majority of them, even if they're not getting vaccinated, are living normally and they don't want me to be the one who tells them, no, don't do that anymore. They want to prioritize the economy. And just to be fair, at what point, we do have a vaccine now. And a lot of people, not them, you know, are vaccinated. Uh, which does a couple of things. One, it does decrease, you know, the likelihood of people getting severe illness in overwhelming hospitals, you know, and I think, and, but it also, you know, significantly decreases the likelihood of death. And so, you know, when you're trying to sort of weigh out the political calculus here, I can kind of see how we get to the place that we're at, because I don't think there's much appetite. I would say there's very little appetite generally to go back under more restrictions, but certainly almost none among Republicans. But further, you know, the situation has changed such that I think, you know, we've already accepted so much suffering and death, you know, in some ways. It's almost like, well, I guess we're going to have a little bit more, but, we're, but you know, the trade-off is we're not going to restrict the economy, I guess. Uh, you know, <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I think that is a pretty – at first, it, you know <laughs> – Sorry. This is- <laughs> no. Well, I, I went from, you know, in, in listening to you say that first thinking, well, that's, you know, maybe a kind of cold blooded assessment to then me thinking, well, maybe that's a little charitable. But I mean, I think, but per, oh, well, then great. Okay. I'll take that. You know, that's you know, what I shoot but, for. Well, and I, but I also think that, you know, another branch of you talking about the uneven messaging and the, and, and the trajectory of this is that, you know, it has turned out to be relatively difficult to predict how this was going to shake out in some ways, mm-hmm. you know, um, based on the short term response of folks. I mean, you know, as you mentioned in that, in that, in, you know, the, your comments there, I mean, there was a point when people were saying, well, we've got a vaccine and the vaccine seemed to work and distribution seems to be going after, you know, shaky beginning a little bit, um, fairly well. And people were saying, well, you know, the risk of the virus end is, is lower. Mm-hmm. You know, and it's reduced. And so that that's bound to affect people's views on, on the economy. But as we look at the cases begin to increase again, and we look at, you know, the, the fact that you and I wrote about back after the April poll that, you know, once the vaccine got into circulation, it became clear that, you know, the more and more the and, and now it's up to, you know, the high 90s, the, the vast majority of people that are still requiring hospitalization and are still getting seriously ill are people that have not been vaccinated. Right. And so, the, you know, the problem with that is, you know, Here we at, go. you know, at some point, somebody has a responsibility, it seems to me, to say, and hey, you know what, if we want the economy to come back, we should do everything we can to get the vaccination right as high as possible. And I, I think the rhetoric that we've seen has been reflective of a different set of priorities than that, frankly. You know, so just, you know, we probably should have done this at the beginning, just to recap and, 
this is maybe an unfortunate time to do this, but fair is fair. So, you know, last week, Governor Abbott's initial response to shifts in the CDC guidelines that you were talking about that were admittedly a little muddied, but that were basically saying that people should increase you know, their mask wearing and that there was an increased threat and that there were indications that vaccinated people could at a very, you know, in, in very rare cases, have what they call breakthrough cases and still get the virus anyway, but that the virus, the infection would not be serious to the person that has it. But in addition to that, that people that are vaccinated and as I understand it, get infected with the virus, still spread the virus at about the same rate as unvaccinated people. Now, look, that's complicated. You know, I'm willing to, but governing is often complicated. (laughs) And so, you know, the initial response in this, to these guidelines in the state was for, you know, the governor to reiterate the, what has become the party line first on Twitter and then in uh, orders, you know, to the state. You know, and, and to quote the, the governor's tweet, he said, the time for government mask mandates is over. Now is the time for personal responsibility. A couple of days later, the governor underlined that message with a new general order that consolidated previous orders and reiterated that business, you know, quote unquote, business activities and legal proceedings are free to proceed without COVID-19 related limitations imposed by local governmental entities or officials. And then also that no governmental entity, including a county, city, school district, or public health authority, and no governmental official may require any person to wear a face covering or mandate that another person wear a face covering. Now, I think if you ask the question why to that, (laughs) there's really only one answer. And that answer is the politics of the situation, because... You know, you can say, well, it's principle. Well, those principles are not universally shared. We now have volumes of data showing that that principle is a, is a principle that's embraced primarily by partisans, the extent that nobody should be able to tell me to wear a mask if I don't want to. Right. And, you know, the personal responsibility, the balance of personal responsibility and the concept of public health here, you know, seems to me to be very shaped by the politics of the situation. And I, I I, I find it hard to to find. I, you know, it, I, I find a more. Pers- I, I'm not seeing a more a more persuasive explanation than that. No, I, I don't disagree <laughs> with you. And I mean, I think part. I mean, like I'm trying to. I'm thinking about how to say this, and it's not even. You know, it, it relates to the politics, but it's another aspect to this that I think, which is, you know, there's sort of a like, well, now that we've done this, we can't go back kind of mentality yeah. to this in some ways, which is, well, look, you know, if we if we look at the data and we look at the curves, I mean, you know, the. The idea is, is once we've blown past, you know, a red line, as we say, well, then what difference does that red line make? Right. right? And that's kind of been the way this pandemic has gone here in Texas, which is, you know, we say, well, you know, if let's say if if positive tests go above this, we're going to have to start to do something. And then it's like, well, actually, once positive tests go above that, we're like, no, no, no. If a total hospital, if hospital capacity, ICU beds goes above this, it's like, okay, well, the ICU beds are going up. It's like, okay, no, no, total hospital capacity. It's like, okay, well, sure, you know, and now here we are, you know, again, there was a, there was a trigger that would have allowed, you know, some of the regions to impose or counties to inform, impose more mandates if the, the uh, share of the hospital beds in like the five, in the county regions that, you know, mm-hmm. they're doing this calculations exceeded, I think it was 15%. One of the regions already had a couple were approaching it and probably will pass it. And, and yeah. the governor said, nope, we're not doing that anymore. Now, again, I'm, Something else that was undone in the in the executive right. order, right? And I'm very cognizant of the fact that the situation 
has shifted. I mean, I think what's interesting, but I think, you know, it's interesting we're talking about this, all the uncertainty and the shifting underlying pot thing. But the thing that hasn't really changed is what we started with, which is the underlying attitudes. Right. And ultimately that's what shapes the political response that you see from the elected officials is, you know, what, what are my voters going to think about my response to this? And as we've blown through these various kind of red lines, these various, you know, instances in which we would expect more government intervention, well, we're out, you know, I mean, at this point, you know, it's kind of like, well, can we go back now and say, well, you know, now we're going to do mass mandates because ultimately, you know, if you think about all the heat, you know, Abbott got for the little bit of, you know, the, the brief period of time in which there were some statewide restrictions, the idea that now if he were to go and say, okay, you know what, we're going to start allowing masks or we're going to start allowing whatever, maybe in certain areas, certain regions, who knows, you know, somebody from the dissident right-wing Twitter universe. I mean, in fact, I could probably think of a couple people would put yeah. up a picture of the graphic of COVID cases and say, why now? And, you know, I don't know what the answer to that would be other than, you know, well, now I've decided to follow good public health advice, but that hasn't been the case up until this point. So I don't see, you know, why they would shift back to that now. Well, I mean, you know, yeah. I mean, I, I think that, you know, if I was to, to argue the why, I mean, I might, you know, and look, I've, I've, I agree with what you're saying that that is very likely the reasoning that's going on there, that there is a, you know, I mean, if anything, what we saw last week was the, and, and this week in the, you know, the melding of the immigration or, well, this was also last week, but it's still carrying on this week, but the melding of the immigration general order that the, that the governor issued that being rationalized by the spread of COVID is a, you know, is, 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 I'm sorry. Laughable. Under well, the con- I, mean, know, I mean, I mean, if it weren't so it's sad, just, it, I mean, you it's know. Just underli- it just underlines, you know, what you're saying, which is once, you know, there's a certain sort of commitment. And this is where I, I, I just find it, you know, I get the politics of it in strictly bloodless or bloody political terms. You know, the, the situation is different than, you know, in a number of ways than it, than it was before, you know, in terms of context. And, you know, there, you know, there are openings here. And I think that, you know, that this comes back to some degree to something that we were, you know, that we discussed, I think we wrote about publicly at the very beginning of this is that, you know, the governor has a lot of political capital and a lot of you know, literal, you know, yeah. campaign ca- actual funding, capital, ca- actual yeah. capital. Um, and I don't, I, you know, I don't know that if, if spending some of it here wouldn't in the long run be okay Particularly given that, look, you know, I understand that. I mean, the the two main primary challenges that he has right now, you know, for all people talk, you know, about this in general terms, were likely, you know, germinated in those few months where the governor was trying to split the difference on this and yeah. trying to respond, you know, in terms of public health. I mean, you know, that that is when Alan West, you know, got the bulk of his press. It still remains to some degree, the core of his challenge, very similar with, 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 with Huffines, his, his other primary challenger, you know, at what point do you, you know, I mean, how secure do you have to feel in the, in the face of those things? You know, there's a big story in the Statesman that Nicole Cobbler wrote, which talked to Mark Jones and a couple other political scientists in the state. And I think both Mark and somebody else, and forgive me if you're out there, I can't remember who the other person quoted was, you know, both characterized, the governor's position on this as gambling that the pandemic is not going to get worse this time, that this, that this peak will be, 
not what the other one was. I don't know about that. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah. I mean, I, you know, it is a gamble, but I mean, I, I think, you you know, know, if you're, if you're playing on, you know, experience, well, you know, his experience has been that for all the criticism he took jogging, right. Has been probably has helped shore up his numbers. Yeah. You know, and ultimately there's no, you know, there's no limit to the number of other actors that he can point his fingers at around this. He gets point, and he's doing it right. He can point it at local governments and, gov- and local government mandates that are, you know, he, he could say detached from the science. He can point to undocumented immigrants. Uh, you know, now he can point to the federal government. And so there's lots of other places that he can, he can muddy, muddy the water on this. But I mean, that's a funny way to put it, this idea that, you know, he's, you know, he's calculating, you know, he's calculating this out because I mean, I was sort of thinking early on in the pandemic, going back to sort of when there were these clear sets of guidelines, okay, if this happens, we're going to, we're going to have to, you know, basically shut down a little more. And, you know, when they were really kind of being serious about following some of the data and then basically decided to start ignoring it. I mean, one of the things that I was wondering, you know, talking to reporters at that point was like, okay, was like, did anybody do like a cost benefit analysis to like how many more lives this might cost? And, yeah. and, and, and I mean, it was, and it was a serious question because I think Ray honestly, Perryman there, might've been busy. There, well, there are a lot of people modeling, right? A lot of people saying, saying, Hey, look, you know, we, we know this could have, you know, a lot of people were doing this at the time, seeing kind of what the effect of, you know, some, some, you know, strong social distancing, weak social distancing, all that kind of stuff might have. Um, and I mean, it was pretty clear at that point in time that, you know, whether they looked into it or not, you know, how many additional deaths opening up the state would cost, you know, that was a pretty big surge and we're already through that. Yeah. And so I don't see the cost here being significantly higher. I mean, I think, you know, as someone who studies public opinion, you know, one of the things that I'm kind of like maybe a little desensitized to is the, you know, how rarely public opinion shifts. Yeah. To, you know, dramatically. I mean, you know, when I see, you know, a big shift might be, you know, maybe you see like a five to 10 point shift in a brief period, but a lot of times it snaps back to where it was if you check it again later. And so you don't see these big, like, you know, massive, like 20, 30 point shifts in opinion. It's not like, you know, if because of the Delta variant, you know, we see the surge continue up and let's say, you know, we shouldn't see as many deaths. I mean, that's what, you know, because of all the vaccinations, but let's say we see a surge, you know, this, a continued surge in cases and we blow past, you know, last July's surge and we're looking somewhere in between those two. And, you know, the idea that all of a sudden a bunch of voters are going to say, hey, this is this is mismanagement. Yeah. And, and I think it's, it's worth not talking. A, and I think it's worth talking a little bit about just the, yeah, the the experiential part of this beyond the policy piece. I mean, you and I were talking about this. It was a I you know, I don't know if you went back and saw it. There's a good piece in The New York Times over the weekend that talked to a lot of people about their hesitation or their or their refusal to get the vaccine. Mm hmm. You know, and there was a lot of interesting decision making going on there and a lot of, you know, some of it is personality, some of it is political belief, some of it is a, you know, how people process risk, Mm -hmm. you know, and I think that is to some degree underappreciated. But I also think, again, it it does come back. I could get away from the politics for about 20 seconds. But I mean, I, I think even even though public opinion and must, you know, changes, you know, public attitudes don't change very rapidly or very much in a lot of cases, you know, amidst a lot of uncertainty, we do know that leadership matters and, and, and elites, you know, signaling by public officials matters. Now it may be that we're just too deep into this now mm-hmm. for, for that to be much of an option. I don't, think but, so. but I, but I, but you know, I, I, I think the stakes are high enough that I'd, I mean, 
what would happen if for the next two weeks, you know, all the local news channels in Texas broadcast PSAs by a wide variety of Republican officials saying you should get vaccinated. And until you get vaccinated, you should not go out. And that's just because we all want the economy. In other words, a message was crafted that attempted to consciously not run away from people's opinions, but engage them and, and see what kind of effect you could have. And look, national Republicans were clearly thinking this two or three weeks ago because we saw a little uptick in a lot of congressional Republican leaders doing exactly that, going perhaps not exactly that with frequent PSAs, but certainly going on the record in a very public way in urging people to get vaccinated and urging their constituents and their partisans to get vaccinated. Yeah. I mean, you know, thinking about, you know, the, the New York Times article and all the reasons people give, you know, it reminds me of something that I like to I think about a lot, which is, you know, life is aggressively contextual. And it's one of the limits, you know, I say, yeah. you know, I would say, you know, public opinion doesn't shift that much, but it's actually very easy to shift behaviors in the short run and in a very isolated way and in very, you know, consequential ways as a whole, you know, it's what behavioral economics is basically all about, right? I mean, how you ask the question might lead people to do completely different things, right? What the yeah. default is, that kind of stuff. And so I think, you know, that does matter, but that's sort of where, I mean, that is where, you know, beyond just the words of, you know, politicians, that's where I think what you see in that, in that article. And I think what is so vexing about the state response, which is to say, you know, basically to state local governments and, and, and really as many entities as it can, you cannot do anything to try to compel people <laughs> to do the right thing here. But the thing is, is that, you know, ultimately if, if your job requires a vaccine you know, and you're kind of on the fence about it, you're probably going to get a vaccine. If your kid's school requires you to be vaccinated to come in and pick your kid up or go to the, you know, to go to the performance, that's probably going to get a couple more people vaccinated. And ultimately, this is kind of what where we're at right now is we're trying to find the people who, for whatever reason or not, what extra little nudge is going to push right. them over the edge to do what needs to be done so this doesn't happen. And, and the problem with, you know, the political construction that we're ending up with is we're, you know, it's funny, at, at the same time as I think, you know, just talking about the Republican Party here, I'm not making a comparison, as the Republican Party has sort of, you know, I think over the last few years, throwed away a lot of sort of core tenets that I think you, may, you usually think of as being part of the Republican Party. This construction around social and personal or personal responsibility is just kind of a really odd one for this situation when it's a public health crisis and the consequences public. Yeah. And you and I were talking about this and to bring social science back into it one more time. You know, this is, this is a collective action problem and it's a problem with, with what we call free riders. Ultimately, you know, a collective action problem occurs when there's some kind of outcome that we can all contribute, you know, to, but, but our contributions are so small or significant that whether we contribute or not, you know, the outcome is going to happen either way. And so it leads to the situation where we're free as the classic examples, like clean air, if we're all going and we're, we're contributing, you know, to, to basically making the air cleaner by whatever, not like burning our garbage outside, but you decide, you know, I'm going to burn my garbage outside. Ultimately, you still get to benefit from clean air. You're a free rider. You don't have to do what everybody else is doing, taking their garbage to the dump, all right. this stuff, whatever, right? And I was thinking, you know, with the with with where we are right now, we're in the situation that's just as I described to you before. It's like it's like one of the most horrible collective action problems you can think of because essentially there's a couple things for I think the you know again the majority of people who are vaccinated and probably a lot of people who listen to this podcast, right? You know, essentially you have to worry about yourself. As we all do, we're all egotistical. You should worry about yourself, otherwise you wouldn't live. 
And, you know, the main question here is, you know, have you gotten the vaccine or not? If you haven't, you know, significantly increases the chances that, you know, something bad is going to happen if you get COVID or, you know, take the vaccine, it'll significantly decrease those chances. Next, you say, well, what about my family and my close associates, my relatives, people I'm going to interact with? Are they vaccinated? Well, if they're not, and, you know, you get it, or you get a breakthrough infection, you give it to them. Well, they may get seriously ill. They may die. They may have long COVID. Who knows, right? So there's that. But maybe everybody that you interact with is, is vaccinated for the most part. Not uncommon with the way that social networks work. So that brings us to this other issue, which is like, well, what if I go out and I happen to get it? I don't really, I'm asymptomatic and I give it to somebody else that I don't really know who's unvaccinated. Well, meh, you know, I mean, that depends on your moral you know, fabric yeah. and fiber and how you feel about it. But, that, but the biggest thing that I think, you know, people should, people should be concerned about is this idea of, you know, as long as this virus sticks around, we're going to have more variants. And yeah, eventually, I, you know, if we keep having more and more variants, it's more likely the variant will come along that, you know, proves uh, to be able to overcome to our vaccines. Vaccine. Yeah. And that's, but here's the thing though, you know, the, the individual action of you or me or any one of us is not going to necessarily contribute to that variant, but the, the collective action of the entire society is, which right. is why this whole idea of like personal responsibility becomes a bit of a problem because ultimately my decision is not going to affect whether or not, you know, there's a new variant of the coronavirus that puts us all back into lockdown, you know, for an extended period of time. It's the, it's the collective decisions of millions and millions of other people. And, and that's why that messaging is just so off. <laughs> yeah. Well, and I, I think that, you know, I mean, we have to wind it up, but I mean, I think, you know, the, where that leads us is that, you know, public health is a public good. <laughs> right. Right. And, and, particularly then vulnerable to this collective action problem. And I think that outside of that decision-making logic, which I agree with, there's another kind of broader cultural ideological uh, dynamic going on right now where I think that, you know, and, and, and then the recourse to individual responsibility, I think is one aspect of this. You know, when was the last time you really heard the governor utter the words public health other than talking about an entity? I think that, you know, the kind of polarization among and, and this kind of uh, uh, sense that, you know, as a result of negative partisanship laid onto this ideological construction that Democrats have become socialists and all mm -hmm. of this, that it's harder to talk about the notion of public health right now and, and for Republicans. And they're, they're hesitant to do that for the political backlash that's going to that's gonna come at them. And, you know, the notion of public health sounds like, you know, you're being a socialist or it's something out of the new deal or, right. you know, something like this. And, you know, it's, it's really getting in the way of messaging on something that is, you know, that because of the mechanisms you're talking about is going to continue to be a problem for a while. If we don't reach a higher threshold of, of different kinds of behaviors and, and, and a higher threshold of vaccination. Yeah. I mean, you could imagine a scenario in which you just say, do it for yourself, do it for your family, do it for Texas, do it for the country. Yeah. <laughs> and it wouldn't even be that hard, right? I mean, we just passed a law of requiring the playing of the national anthem. I mean, it's it's a yeah. it's a patriotic thing to do. And there was a little bit of playing with that. But, you know, going back to personal responsibility, ultimately, I think, you know, what we talk about in social, again, you know, the, yeah. activates the idea of, you know, it's a personal decision. Right. It takes it back into whatever sort of, you know, whatever considerations you have to bear in your context. And hey. if it's not left to that, it's it's a violation of that rather than being weighed in the context of something else, which we do all the time. Which puts us at the status quo that we've been at, honestly, almost the entire time we've been 
asking right. questions about people's vaccine intentions, which from the start has basically shown about a third of Texans who are going to say either unsure or no. And that right. hasn't budged. Yeah. And I think, you know, I mean, I, it will be interesting to see whether the latest, you know, this, where we are now, if there's any chipping away, and this is kind of what the, you know, I mean, we're seeing some anecdotal evidence, but I'll be interested mm-hmm. to see what the actual, you know, epidemiological and medical evidence looks like and what the polling looks like when we're back in the field. We're chipping away at the unsures, I think, a little bit, right? Yeah. And that, that's kind of what the New York Times thing was getting at. But there was, you know, I mean, I think the anecdote I shared with you is the guy that just said, yeah, why did I wait? Oh, I don't know. I kind of wait for everything. I'm just yeah. not an earlier adopter. And look, there are some people that are going to be out there like that, particularly yeah. young people. And I that's understandable. But I think, you know, if anything, what we're seeing right now is that we've really got, there's really got to be an effort to go after those people, even if there is some political cost among the people that are just like you even talking about making me do this pisses me off, mm-hmm. you know, which seem, and those people seem to be, you know, having an, to my mind, an undue influence on the public agenda and on public health of the state. With that, I think we've gone a little over. I want to thank Josh for being here uh, and for all the prep he did and gathering data on this. Uh, thank uh, our excellent folks in the liberal arts development studio in the college of liberal arts at the university of Texas Thank you for listening, and we'll be back next week with another Second Reading Podcast. The Second Reading Podcast is a production of the Texas Politics Project at the University of Texas at Austin.